Isn't, uh, I don't trip over that. Isn't, isn't God good? Yeah. We're embarking over this next um, few weeks and really launching off next week. I kind of uh, get to be in this transitional preview kind of week in, into, an, into a new series. And, uh, and I'm excited about what we're going to be starting to explore coming, coming next week. It's, it's really exciting. Um, we're going to go on a journey over the next few weeks in exploring something of God, but then something of what it means to be God's. And that's a, that's a, really, that's a really powerful thing. Before I, before I start to unpack too much this morning, I want to, um, I w- I want to throw to the screen for a video. Um, we have some incredible things happening in our church, and uh, there's, there's a testimony that I think it would be really amazing for us to hear in the context of what we're going to be talking about. So if you just look to the screen. <laughs> It'll be December when I ended up out of work at the end of November. Being retired at 34 was pretty hard to swallow. Um, not being diagnosed with fibromyalgia and chronic pain, which is my two main problems. Um, praying for a miracle every day with the fibromyalgia because there's no cure. We got very blessed with a few people through church at Northwest as well as Central. Um, which pretty much saved our Christmas this year with our family. It was looking very glim, but we ended up having a, a very good day, Christmas Day. Got we were f- able to open lots of prezzies and that. Yeah. I didn't really get much into the Christmas spirit this year, uh, but what started the help was the way that we were blessed with, you know, church family and friends for the church that really come to our aid in a time of need, in a big time of need, actually. Um, and it's great because they, they didn't even ask questions. They didn't need to know everything about what we were going through. They just knew that they wanted to help us and that was great. Mm. Um, one of the biggest things that challenged me was just the way that people were very open and giving, especially some of the gifts we received um, pretty much left me in tears once I got home, which really challenged me to give as well, even knowing that we're in a big time of need. For me it's just been about being there being present in the church, be there to talk to people, being open. So many people in the church you could say, hey, do you want to catch up for a coffee or can we have a chat or something like that? And you just feel like that's okay, that they're not judging you, that they're not thinking anything bad about you, that you can just kind of just, yeah, go with it. We're not in the best spot at the moment, but we've got a roof over our heads. We're very thankful for what we've got. Um, And I hate to think about where we would be without God and His help. Be honest. I'd really hate to think about where we were with Eddie's love. Isn't that incredible? And you know, you know what I love is that um, that's a snapshot and a picture of something that has happened in and through our community as a church family. But uh, it's just a snapshot. There, that that story is multiplied time and time again in various situations, and it's such a such an amazing thing to be a part of. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, such such an incredible thing to be a part of, ministering the love of God to one another. That's what I want to talk about this morning. If you've if you've got your Bible, now I'm, now let me let me introduce this really because I'm going to jump to quite a few different sections of Scripture and portions of the Bible this morning, and uh, and you're going to need to bear with me because I'm going to put a whole lot of things kind of up in the air and just get you to think about different 
different ideas and then bring them together into something that's really, really quite incredible. But you're kind of, you're kind of just gonna, you're gonna have to think. Is it okay if we think this morning? Yeah, and you're gonna go, go with me on this. All right, so let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter five. We're gonna start here, but we're gonna land in what's gonna become our key verse for these. For the series, but we're going to start in Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. This is Jesus speaking. Now, Jesus, this is in the section of Scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount, incredible, probably most quoted portion of Jesus' teaching. It's really quite amazing. And Jesus says this in the midst of, the, of, of his sermon. Verse 43, he says, You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Verse 48. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I want to talk to you this morning about love. You know, love is probably one of the most talked about, sung about, wondered about, thought about themes in humanity. Would you, would you agree? It's everywhere. And, but I also think it's probably one of the most mistaught or at least misjudged, misunderstood concepts of what it means to be human. There's a lot of confusion. We, we were created for love. We, we know that. We know we were created to love. We were created to be loved. We were created by God because of his love. We were created by God who is love. It's a really big deal, yet we understand so little. And I truly believe that we cannot fully grasp all that it is, or all that this gift is, love, unless we go to the author of life, to the one who is love, and that's God. That's what I want us to do this morning. I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, I'm glad you're here. You're so welcome. Holy Spirit, would you... Well, we, we open our hearts to you. Would you soften our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you go into places you have not been before? Would you open us to new revelations of your love that we would truly know who our Father is in heaven and who he has called us to be? In Jesus' name. All right, so Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Where had they heard that said? Where had they heard that? Well, that's the Old Covenant, right? That's the Old Testament, the Second Commandment, love your neighbor, and then hate your enemy. Well, it didn't say that, but it's implied, and more than implied, it was demonstrated. They would, the, the, they would look back at the Old Testament, and they would think of stories like, do you remember the story of Saul, where Saul, uh, King Saul was told to go in, God said, I'm giving you the land, and uh, they went and take land, but they were to leave, leave no survivors, basically, basically let Spare no one, I'm giving you the land. But Saul didn't quite follow through. They were victorious, God blessed them, they won the battle. But Saul let the, foreign, the king of the foreign nation live. He, he showed mercy and let him live. And uh, because of that, Saul lost his kingship. 
Remember that, do you know the story? The prophet Samuel comes in and reprimands King Saul because he hasn't followed what God said. Samuel kills the, the evil king. And the point of the story is that the guy who showed mercy is the bad guy. And the guy who was ruthless and delivered judgment was the good guy. Welcome to the old covenant, right? Over and over again, we see it. We, we see in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, part of how we show, our, well, they showed their devotion to God was through hating the enemies of God. That was part of showing your devotion to God. Look at King David. Look, even the story of David and Goliath. It's not just a story that's celebrated because the little boy beat the giant and, the, and, the, and, you know, and that was amazing. It's because Goliath was an enemy of God. He scoffed God, he mocked the people of God, and so God used David the shepherd boy to bring judgment on Goliath and the whole Philistine army, and that's celebrated. That's what the old covenant looked like. That's what the old operating system looked like. But Jesus says, you know all that and you've seen that, but now I tell you, Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Do you see what he's doing here? You could not get two more opposite ways of viewing life, of operating. They're completely opposite. He says, this, is, this has been your picture through the lens of the law. This is how you've seen God and seen how you're meant to live. But I'm telling you, it's bigger than you think. This is actually, you should pray for your enemies and, do, and pray for your enemies, love your enemies. Why does Jesus tell us to love our enemies? Rhetorical, yes. Um, <laughs> here's why. He actually says it. He says, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you might be like your Father in heaven. You might be like your Father in heaven who makes it rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. He's referencing the Old Testament again, isn't he? Because in the Old Testament, Israel, the law said, if you do this, this, and this, God will send the rain. But if you do this, this, and this, and you have idolatry and sin, God won't send the rain. And we see, we see like the prophet Elijah could come and prophesy, and there was a three and a half year drought in the land because that's what the law said, they disobeyed the law. And so, um, and so it, was, it was horrific what happened. But Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, you've seen all this, but I'm telling you, love one another, love your neighbour, because that's what your father is like, that's what God is really like. You've, do, do, you, see, do you see the two covenants beginning to collide here with the ministry of Jesus? See, under the old covenant, God rewarded the righteous. But under the new covenant, God gives mercy to people who don't deserve it. Aren't you glad about that? Because that's us. Why did Jesus come to earth? Think about that. I could ask the front row here, the, the scholars. Why did Jesus... Why did Jesus come to earth? He came, there were a whole lot of reasons, right? You know, the verses, there's dozens of them. He came to seek the lost. He came to bring a sword. He came to fulfill the law. He came to 
um, destroy the works of the enemy. There's, there's dozens of verses. They're kind of like all dot points of one overarching theme, overarching purpose. Jesus came to reveal the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus came to show us and to reveal what God is really like. He fascinates me, Jesus, because he comes to an orphan planet who has, have no concept of God as Father, and he brings a revelation, something that's never been known in that capacity before. He says, God is actually a father, and he makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's the kind of father he is. And so, that section of scripture, what Jesus is saying, if I was to paraphrase it in the context of that, Jesus is basically saying this, your experience and the law and everything like that has told you that God is like this, but I am telling you that God, that that is just your experience of God through the lens of the law, but the law is about to be fulfilled. There is a new covenant coming, and I'm telling you that God is actually bigger than that. You've got a picture of him like this, but he's about to reveal himself, and he's revealing the fact that he is a father, that he is good, and that he makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. What that means is that his ability to love is not inhibited, it is not inhibited by whether someone deserves it or not. God loves. He loves because he is love. So it doesn't matter whether I'm up or down or I'm being righteous or unrighteous or someone is acting evil or good. God loves. Some people are feeling a little bit, you know, uncomfortable with that. Like, you know, but, yeah, but, what about... But this is Jesus speaking, right? It's, it's hard to argue. That's, that's what he said. He, he said. He said a lot of offensive things in reality. He actually takes it further. He says, that's what God's like. God loves everyone. So you should love everyone, including the people who are bad to you, including the people who even hate you, including people who want to hurt you. All right. So there's that. Now what I want you to do is just take that that, and just kind of let that sit for a moment. I want to tell you about Jesus. See, Jesus was, I love Jesus. He, he, he came to reveal the Father. He came to show us what God is really like. He, and so what that kind of looks like is that Jesus is, when you read the Gospels, Jesus is always on isn't he? Like, it doesn't matter whether Jesus is with his disciples and he's like in a private kind of gathering with them, teaching them, or he's before Pontius Pilate and he's been falsely accused and he's, it's an unfair trial. It doesn't matter whether that's the context or the Pharisees are trying to trip him up or whatever the context is going on around him, Jesus is never afraid. Jesus' love is always on. Jesus never let the people around him or the circumstances around him cause him to dial up or dial down who he was towards them. I don't know if you're getting that. Jesus did not allow the circum other people's stuff to cause him to dial up or down his love. Because he loved people, what determined his love for people was not their stuff. What determined his love for people was his stuff. 
He didn't, he didn't see people the way the religious leaders did. He didn't look at them and see their faults and let them define that. Jesus saw people with a divine perspective. He saw them for who they could be, who they were created to be, who they really should be. He saw that and in so many cases, we see people rise to what he saw in them. We see people rise out of there, kind of down here up because Jesus saw it in them and called it out in them. But this is so important. Even when they didn't respond. Even, see, every, everyone, not everyone accepted Jesus, but they all experienced him. Yeah, he, did, he, did, he, he let them experience him. But even when they didn't allow that to fully transform them, even then, Jesus did not let that be a reason for him to turn down his love. I find it amazing to think about Judas, who betrayed Jesus, yet was with Jesus for three years. Jesus knew Judas would betray him. At the Last Supper, he actually tells him, it's going to be you. And yet, for three years, he treats Judas with the same love, respect, and trust as he did all the other disciples. Think of that, that just blows my mind. Although he knew what would be in Judas's heart, yet he still chose love. There's something in that for us. And so, by the end of Jesus' ministry, we see a group of fishermen who, were, who, who weren't going to amount to anything more and never aspired to anything more, now believing they could change the world because they'd experienced Jesus' love, and they did. We see Matthew, a tax collector, who was basically, you know, white-collar crime. Like, he, he was a, a, a shady accountant and, uh, and, but, and, and scorned by his people, looked, looked down on the used car salesman of the first century. Sorry. Um, but, but not trusted because of his career, and yet um, going find a place of significance and belonging and trust because of Jesus. We see Mary Magdalene, we see the prostitute who the religious leaders actually wanted to execute, yet she finds forgiveness and freedom and healing and restoration with Jesus. You know, a little kindness goes a long way. A little love goes a long way. There's a, there's a gentleman in, um, in Newcastle this weekend. I don't know if you saw this in the paper. Um, he's here from China. His name is Jack Ma. He's, a, uh, he's, a, um, he's here. To, he's here the, um, we had a, a function on Friday night at the university. Some of our students from the school were invited along and, uh, to, for this big announcement. And he's here in Newcastle because he's making a $28 million donation to the University of Newcastle, not for buildings, not for like, infrastructure, but for scholarships so that more young people can, can get a tertiary education. It's absolutely amazing. 20, it's 20 million US, which is, I think, 28 million Australian. It's absolutely incredible, like an unprecedented kind of donation in, into that. Now, the thing with Jack Ma is he is a very wealthy man. He's the second richest man in, he's the second richest man in China. He's worth $350 billion. He is, uh, like, that's, that makes, someone said the other day, that makes, that makes Donald Trump's 
you know, a few billion just seem like pocket change. Like this guy, yet you've never heard of Jack Ma, right? Um, it's, it's amazing. Now, his story goes that in 1986, he was a young man, and from my understanding, he was a little bit lost and, and wondering, I suppose, and he ended up here in Newcastle for three weeks. And he says he puts it down to the kindness that he was shown by a man from Newcastle that he was able to turn around, go back to China, and had the confidence and the direction to start his company. And the rest is history. And it impacted him so significantly that now 31 years later, he still remembers that man who has now passed away. But now he is back in Newcastle and making a $28 million donation to the, in the city in honour of the man who showed him kindness for just a few weeks while he was here in Australia. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't a little bit of love, yeah, I think that's worth a an acknowledgement, a little bit of love, a little bit of kindness, you, you don't know what impact that can have. Now, the amazing thing about that story is not the $28 million, the incredible thing about that story is that little act of kindness 31 years ago that had a, such an impact on a life. I love it, yeah? Okay, so... Jesus lived with his love on 100%. Then as he's getting towards the end of his ministry, is this okay? Is this too much Bible for a Sunday morning, right? Because <laughs> it's really important. Okay, I'll say this. Pause that for a second. This is, this is, this is, how, this is how I see it. For the majority of us in our room, this room, we have staked our future our relationships, our hopes, our dreams, and our eternity on what the Bible says. So we ought to know what it says, right? Like it seems, but like it, it ought to take, it ought to, it's, it's, it's worth some time and some energy actually exploring what this book is that's changed my life, what it says. Yeah. So Jesus, so I'm trying to give you this kind of overview. Jesus is ushering in a new covenant. He's ushering in a new revelation of God as Father, and he spends three years demonstrating it. His love is on. doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing. Jesus is moving towards you with love. Towards the end of his ministry, Jesus, knows his, Jesus knew his time was coming up, and he knew he'd soon be returning to the Father, and he didn't have much time. And so uh, we read the story of how Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Kind of in his last, last moments with them, or last kind of period of time, he's like still showing them this is what love looks like. See, he washed their feet because that's what the servant was supposed to do. And so here's Jesus giving a leadership lesson because he's their leader, and, but instead of them serving him he goes around and serves them and he says you know what in the kingdom this is what love looks like and this is what leadership looks like serve service the great he teaches like the greatest among you should be the servant of all he does that and then he gathers them together and uh, he gives this kind of one of his final kind of teachings for them he says this in john Chapter 13, verse 33 to 34. And this passage of Scripture is going to become a key passage of Scripture for us over the coming weeks. So put your bulletin or put something in there because you'll need to come back to it at various points. John 13, chapter 33. 
sorry, John 13, verse 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. I love that Jesus said, a new command I give you, not another command. I love that he said, a new command, not just another command. That, that actually all of the law and all of what that was supposed to accomplish is all tied up in this. That if you do this, the rest will be fulfilled. I want, to, I want to give you, I want to share three thoughts around this verse, three, three, I guess three points that, um, for you to take away this morning. And the first one is this, that love is your assignment. There's, I work with young people, uh, I work with teenagers, and the one of the questions you hear, you hear young people particularly, but actually it's universal. You hear people, particularly Christian young people, saying, I've got to work out my purpose. I've got to work, I'm just trying to work out what God's calling me to. What's my ministry? What's my, what's my direction? I've just got to see what God is wanting me to do. Well, God, Jesus has told you what to do. He said, love. That's it. What's my ministry? There it is, love. But, but, but does that mean I'd be, I, like, I don't know whether to become an accountant and work in someone else's company or to kind of start my own business and which, which, one, which one should I do? What's God want me to do? Well, he wants you to choose. <laughs> he, he wants you to choose and then that becomes your vehicle to love. Yeah, do, do you want me, God, do you want me, to be, do you want me to be a teacher or a lawyer? God, do you, want me to be, do you want me to work in the church or out of the church? Well, God might speak to you about some of those things at various times, but really when it comes down to it, a lot of the choices that we labor over in life, I believe God's given us your choice. He says, I'm, actually, that's a whole message, but, um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm, but, but really, he's saying choose a vehicle, choose a tool, Choose a context and go and do what I have commanded you to do. Love one another. Minister the love of Jesus in that place, in that context. Is that right? Is that... <laughs> he says, love one another. Earlier on in the other passage, he actually starts out by saying, love your enemy. He effectively is saying, love everyone. And uh, one another, we look around the room and... Uh, and the reality is for some of us, like some people are more lovable than others. Is that like, or it's kind of easier, don't look around the room now. <laughs> he, but Jesus says to love one another, that we're to love everyone. Before I was a teacher, um, before I was in education, I, I was a youth worker, a social worker. And my job was that I would... Um, look after state wards who, um, it was in a time when the Department of Community Service was taking, taking young people off the streets in like 
um, Bankstown, Cabramatta, those kind of areas. Um, they were in trouble with the police, they were in gangs, they were in drugs, and they would bring them up to Newcastle to try and get them out of that scene and then um, put them in Mayfield. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I had young... I had, I, my job was I would kind of work these 24-hour shifts where a young person was assigned to me and their bail conditions said they could not leave my site. If they left my site, they would, I'd, I would have to call the police and they'd be picked up and they'd go back to prison. So 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds trying to stay out of juvenile detention. And so um, I, remember, I remember this one young guy, his name was Joel, and uh, like th- these, like, who knows when, like the, like when you hear a testimony, you hear a story, you think, oh, that sounds glamorous, what an amazing, you know, as, and then you kind of get in the midst of the ministry or doing what God's called you to do. It's nowhere near as glamorous as it sounds when you tell the story. I remember this young, young guy, and he was asking me for money. He said, give me money, you know, and, he, and, um, and I said, no, I'm not giving him money. And um, anyway, he was, he was really angry at me, and so he just slammed the door and walked off out of the house. And I was like, I'll let him cool down. And I was sitting there, and then I heard this smash. I thought, oh, no. So I walked outside, and there's a brick being put through the window of my car because, um, because he was getting back at me because I wasn't going to give him some money. Um, who knows, it's really hard to love somebody <laughs> in that moment. Um, some of these kids, because of their life and their upbringing and everything like that, they just were so prickly to deal with. It was, it was really difficult. Joel, I took him along because when I was rostered on with him on a Friday night, I would take him along to a local youth group. There was a youth group up the road. And uh, there was a lady there, um, one of the youth leaders. And this is the thing about Joel. He, he, he had this amazing talent. He, um, I've never met anyone who could get more swear words and expletives into a single sentence <laughs> than Joel. And he, like he was, yeah, he was good at it. And, um, and so, but to turn up to the Christian youth group, right, that doesn't go down real well. And so the, the, one of the leaders there, I think, this, this older lady, um, she had a real issue with Joel's language. And, um, and I did too. Like I'm, so I'm not condoning poor language here, but she tried to talk to him about it and told him that he shouldn't behave that way and that he needed to clean up his language. And, and then, then I saw this kind of dynamic cut happen that then she started, to, she started putting some, I guess, threats in place and, and trying to scare him into behaving while he's at youth group, kind of saying, you won't be allowed to come back. And then she kind of had a Bible verse about how God... God's not going to, you know, if you're carrying on like that. See, she thought, I looked at this, and she thought he was lost because he swore so badly. But I'm like, no, he swears so badly and his life is like that because he's lost. Yeah, sometimes, like, sin is sin, He, he's, not, he's not lost because he's behaving poorly. He's behaving poorly because he's lost. And so often as Christians, we're kind of trying to fix the symptoms, like we want the symptoms to get better, but we're not quite sure what the problem is. We're not quite sure how to pinpoint the problem and fix it. 
I want to put a, want to put a slide up. There's a, I'm not sure, there's a slide that starts with behave. This, this is so kind of how we try and reach out to people and love people sometimes as Christians. We try and get them to behave and like, you know, behave a certain way and come along to church and then when you're in church and you're appropriate enough to kind of be in our community, you're going to hear all the sermons and the messages and then because when you hear them, you're going to believe and then once you believe, you'll be one of us and you'll belong. But I'm telling you, that is the old covenant because what you need for that is rules. The ingredient to make that work is rules and we have thousands of years of history in the Bible saying no matter how hard anybody tries, as righteous as their desires are, no one can actually do that. It doesn't work. You can't fix your behaviour in order to belong to the family of God. See, Jesus comes and he flips it on his head and he'll bring it up down on this next level. Jesus sends it back the other way because Jesus says to the prostitute, Mary Magdalene, you belong. You're mine. And so then, when she belonged and truly belonged and received the unconditional love, she started to believe. And it comes back the other way. And then when she believed, because it was real, her heart was transformed from the inside out and the behaviour changed. You can't try and go the other way. You can't... See... Behaviour modification takes rules and that's the old covenant. But see, Jesus wasn't in the ministry of behaviour modification. Jesus was in the ministry of heart transformation. And the ingredient for that is love. All right, I've got to keep moving. Point two. Um... Jesus is the standard. You know, the world will try to tell us what love is. I've got a picture of what love is. You've had an experience of what love is. But really, our standard is Jesus. The Bible says, God is love. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know how to love, love like me. Jesus, and let me, let me tell you why that is so important. Because when we live from a place that says, I will value love, I I will operate from love above all, we position our hearts towards people in a way that says things like this, I will not allow your shortfallings or your character defects to control me. I will not let the way you conduct yourself conduct me. I will not let... Your stuff caused me to shrink back from who I am called to be in God. See, in God, I'm a powerful person, and being powerful means that I will not let my love, my trust, my honour that I show to people be determined by their sin or their shortfallings or their bad decisions. My reference point for how much I love is not in them. My reference point for love is God. How much should I love? Well, look to God. How much does he love? That's how much I should love in every situation. I don't don't know if you're fully getting this. I'm not going to let how respectable you are 
determine how respectful I am. I'm not going to let how dishonourable you are being at the moment cause me to be dishonouring in the way I interact with you. I'm not going to let your lack of love cause me to turn down my love. I'm, I used to teach history, so, um, and, I, and I, love, I love history. I I'm, I'm, don't know a whole lot, but I do, do love kind of the historical kind of um, perspective on life. And there's this amazing story about Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great, uh, he was riding with his entourage into a town one day and, and everyone came out to see him, everyone knew who he was, but this beggar came and threw himself on the ground, calling out to him, making a scene, saying, you know, I want money, give me money, give me money. He had no right to do it, it was completely inappropriate, it was a time when respect should have been shown. But Alexander the Great reaches into his money bag and threw down a handful of gold coins, I don't know if you've heard this story before. And they, and they rode off and the beggar was, it was more than a year's wages for a person in that time, just got thrown to him and, and the beggar just changed his life. And as they rode off, Alexander the Great's first officer leaned over to him and said, sir, why did you do that? Why, like a few copper coins would have met the beggar's need. Why did you give him a handful of gold coins? And Alexander turned to him and he said, copper coins would suit the man's need but gold coins suit my giving. See, this is what Jesus is talking about. See, you are Alexander the Great in this story. You are part of a royal priesthood, a child of heaven, an ambassador of the kingdom, and in our kingdom, our currency is not money, it's love. My love is not about how great the need is, My love is about how great my God is. My need is not about the my my love is not about the need, not determined by the need, it is determined by my God, and his love is immeasurable. It's my third thought for the this morning. This is it. You can't. This is all really good and kind of, I, lo- I love the Bible, I, lo- I love Jesus' teachers. Just it's incredible to read what he says. But here's the truth, we can't tr- you can't truly love like Jesus until you know you're loved by Jesus. And this is, this is really where I want to land today. Because it's actually humanly impossible to love the way we are called to love. It's actually impossible without God. And there is a risk. See, you can listen to a message like this and you can read a passage like this and if I read it through the filter of a works, performance, orientated mentality, I will be inspired, I'll be impressed and I will be committed to try harder. But I can tell you from experience that doesn't work. It's 
it's not about how hard you try. It's about how deeply you will surrender. Your life, your heart, your future. It's about how deeply you will trust. Because to love like this means putting my heart on the line every day. It means having no safety blanket because the bottom line is it's a bit of a savage world out there and if I'm going to live with my heart first I need to know the one who holds my heart. I'm not asking you this morning have you committed your life to Jesus although if you haven't given your life to Jesus it would be a really really good place to start I want to challenge you this morning I want to ask you this morning do you know the love of Christ in your life today Not do you know about the love of Christ, but do you know the love of Christ? Because I tell you, He's here this morning and He wants to, he wants to meet all of us afresh, all of us in you. Let me, let me ask you this. When was the last time you were literally undone because of his goodness when was the last time you were literally in tears because of his kindness towards you it was a number of years ago I experienced this I'd been a Christian my whole life but I experienced something new of the goodness and the kindness and the love of God I've never been the same. But you know what I find? I find I actually, like, I, I, I literally cried for months like when I realised how much God loved me. But I find now, I can't, I've kind of got to go back to that place. I kind of, if, if I let it go too long, if I let a week or a few weeks or a month go past without kind of going back to that place of being overwhelmed and undone in worship or in, you know, in prayer by God's goodness, I can get a bit of a hard edge to me. I can, I can get a little bit full of myself when really what people need is it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me and through me. So I want to pray for us this morning. I want to invite you to stand. If you want to be a part of this prayer, I'm just praying that we would know the love of God in a, in a new way, a deep way, in a fresh way. All right, I'm going to pray now. And here's my instruction for you. I don't want you to pray. It kind of sounds counterintuitive, right? But this is actually a time to receive because sometimes we're so busy praying and telling God what He needs to do and what we're going to do 
that sometimes actually what we need is we need to hear God tell us who He is and who we are. And so sometimes we just need to be quiet. And so I'm just going to pray a declaration over you now. In the name of Jesus, you are blessed as a child of the true King. As a son or as a daughter who has full access to his throne room, to his resources, to his love. You are God's happy thought. There is nothing that you could ever do to make him love you more or love you less. God already made a decision from the foundation of the earth that you're His. The gospel is good news. See, the Pharisaical spirit will try and tell you that you need to do something now to access the good news, that you need to do something now to deserve the good news. But Paul says, even my righteous works are filthy rags. Even the good things I do don't even compare. So right now in this moment, it doesn't matter how hard you're trying or you're not trying. God's love for you is extreme. And I pray now in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you come and minister in power and in love. There's someone here this morning and God's saying to you, this is what you need to hear this this morning, life is not about you getting better. That's freeing somebody this morning. Life is not about you getting better. Life is about you getting closer. God's setting someone free this morning. He's saying, a relationship with Jesus is not about your self-improvement. It is about intimacy with Him because when you are, it all starts to make sense. So in the name of Jesus, I pray new and increasing revelations of the love of God. Would you fill our hearts, God? Would you heal our hearts, God? Would you increase our capacity to love? We thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. He's good. It's such good news. Like it's, it's kind of seems too good to be true. But Jesus did it all. This is why we have communion every few weeks or every few months or however long it is we do it because Jesus says, do this in memory of me. In memory of what? What are we remembering? We're remembering what side of the cross we live on so that we don't start trying to live on the other side. We're remembering we live under a paradigm and a covenant of love, not under law and rules. Law and rules and kind of I will do it is never going to work. So bless you in Jesus' name.